I'm Dr. Montserrat Andres. Welcome to Hey Doc Podcast, a space where we chat, laugh, and share stories of Black, Indigenous, and POC healthcare providers. We inspire young folks to become doctors, deepen connection in our community, and dive into the complexities of our stories. This podcast is designed to be listened to, watched, liked, and shared. While you're listening, pop over to Instagram and TikTok to see photos, quotes, and these doctors busting a move. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and please leave us a review. All right, let's get started. Love Jones, kick us off with a beat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Haydock Podcast. Um, this week is going to be a little bit different uh, because I will not be interviewing somebody. Instead, what I'm going to be doing is um, talking about three educators that have been really pivotal uh, in my life and have really, in some cases, without exaggerating, have really changed the trajectory of my experience. And so um, this all came about because this week I found out that um, Eva Enseña Sandoval, the maestra and matriarch of the flamenco scene in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and arguably um, highly influential in the United States as a whole, um, is retiring. Um, and I have spoken about Eva um, on the first episode of the podcast and how influential she was to me. And so this news really um, hit me pretty deep and it made me very introspective about the power of teachers. I think one of the things that I've noticed in this podcast and talking to the different doctors has been that it's either a family member that has really believed um, and pushed some of um, these people into the idea that they could be doctors um, or believed in their vision of being doctors. And for others, it's been an educator in their life that has really um, stepped in and shown them that this was something that they could do and really believed in them. And so I was really thinking about the power of educators and what they mean in my life. And in the first episode, I shared with you that I come from a family of educators. Um, my grandmother was a valedictorian of a teacher's college um, and taught for many years. My mother was a teacher. My father was a teacher. And so um, I've always had a very healthy respect for the work that they do because I remember being home doing my homework at night and my mom being right next to me grading papers and doing her lesson plans. So I always um, had an understanding of the amount of work that teachers do outside of school um, and that they put in a lot of effort into our educations. So um, when I heard that Eva was retiring, 
this past week um, after the huge lump in my throat passed. Um, I was really filled with so much gratitude um, for her and for the role that she has played in my life. It turns out that she started teaching flamenco at the University of New Mexico in 1976. Um, so that means that she started teaching a year before I was born. So it is incredible to me uh, to think about the fact that um, this is why we call people master teachers, right? She has been teaching longer than I've been alive. <laughs> um, and it shows there is um, a very special magic about people that um, devote their lives to educating others and passing on their knowledge. So um, in today's episode, I will be talking with you about Bob King, about Eva Enseña Sandoval, and about Joseph Brimhall. All right, so the first person that we're going to talk about today is Bob King. He was the co-founder of the Chicago School of Massage Therapy. And when I decided to uh, leave the University of Illinois after a year in university because it wasn't giving me what I needed, um, I ended up a year later at the Chicago School of Massage Therapy trying to um, find my way and, and see if it was a little bit closer to the education that I was hoping for. And as you can imagine, the program was a year long. And um, at the time, they had uh, an exit massage. And the exit massage was that um, prior to graduating, you needed as a student to get signed off by a faculty member. So you needed to make an appointment, give a faculty member a massage, and they needed to give the okay that you were prepared and ready to graduate with the standards of the Chicago School of Massage Therapy. So of course, you know, I procrastinated terribly. And um, in the end, I decided that I thought it would look really great if I could say, that I tried to do my exit massage with Bob King, the founder of the school, um, that it would make me look good to say that I tried to do that, even though um, it was the week before it was due. And I thought there's no chance that I'm gonna actually be able to get an appointment with him. I was actually counting on not getting an appointment with him. And so, I remember calling his secretary, um, who is Annie, one of the funniest people I've ever known in my life. And I was like, oh, Annie, hi, this is Montserrat. You know, I have to do my exit massage. And I was just wondering if Bob King would be available. And she was like, sure, when do you want to do it? And I was like, oh, well, it has to happen this week because um, it's due by the end of the week. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'm aware. Um, and considering that it's, you know, on such a short timeline, why don't you just tell me what day and time you can be here? Um, because Bob King clears his schedule to make himself available to students. And there was silence on my end of the phone and Annie just starts laughing. And she was like, you weren't betting on that, were you? You thought you were gonna get away with not getting a massage. Um, 
to Bob and I said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, and so she ended up scheduling me um, and I was so nervous, right? I had just spent a year in this man's school studying his curriculum um, under his guidance. Um, I had a lot of respect for him. And so I remember walking into the student clinic and being really nervous um, and walking back into the treatment room and trying to, you know, do um, a little bit of history to find out contraindications, you know, all the things that I had been taught. And he um, wanted me to work on his legs. So um, we started the massage and I had been massaging. I was pretty close to almost being done. And all of a sudden I look down and I notice that it has been 50 minutes into a 60 minute massage and I have not used the oil. And I had my hands on his leg and I'm looking down at the oil and I'm looking at the clock and I'm devastated, right? I just spent thousands of dollars learning how to use oil <laughs> to massage people. And I didn't know what to do. So I um, decided to confess, I guess. And I was like, uh, Bob, I just realized we only have about 10 minutes to go in this treatment, but I haven't used any oil yet. Um, you know, and he could tell I was like, I don't know what to do. And he was like, well, that's because that's probably not the type of massage therapist that you're going to be. So you have been doing an excellent job. Why don't you just continue with the massage? Um, and we can talk about this later. And I thought, oh, <laughs> that is a really gracious way of being like, you're in major trouble later. <laughs> um, but instead, to my surprise, um, he gave me this book. So for those of you that are listening, instead of watching, I'm holding up um, Performance Massage by Bob King. And it is a muscle care for physically active people. And in the book, none of the techniques require oil. <laughs> um, most of them are either done through clothes or directly on skin as myofascial work. And um, he said, you should never try to be anything that you're not. You have an affinity for this type of work. And this is probably the kind of work that you're going to end up doing. And um, when I look at that, book now it was so predictive <laughs> um and i feel like that really encompasses my relationship with bob king um i feel like he saw a future for me that i still haven't even achieved um he was from the very beginning extremely supportive of me after i graduated from the school I came back, I wanted to stay connected with the school, so I started tutoring um, with the student services department. And the people that I was tutoring were actually, um, the students were on the, in danger of um, being dropped from the program for low performance in their academics. Um, and so the school would assign them a tutor as a, a last resort to try to help them um, make it through the program. So I was that tutor and um, 
I would do my tutoring sessions in the basement of the school. One of the things that was significant about being in the basement is that that's also where Bob King's office was. So um, the ceilings or the walls didn't go all the way up to the ceiling. And I never knew when he was in his office or not because I would just go down for about an hour at a time to tutor. Um, but it turns out that he heard me tutoring um, students many, many times. And he started uh, basically telling me that he wanted me to start teaching in the program. And I thought that that was a terrible idea. Um, I was like, Bob, I'm too young. At the time, I was like maybe 22. Um, I was like, nobody is going to listen to me. I am not interested in um, teaching people that are older than me. They are, there are already so many great instructors in this program that are older and wiser, and I just um, didn't feel like I had anything to offer. But he persisted for a number of years um, as I continued to work there and tutor, and he said, no, I really want you to work and teach in this program. And so eventually, um, he wore me down, <laughs> and I started teaching um, introductory courses, and then eventually as a TA in the regular program, and eventually as a lead instructor, and eventually further on into continuing education classes and such. But he um, always thought that I had a voice that would be important for students um, to see and to hear. And he knew about my family's history with um, my great-grandmother and my grandmother um, having um, holistic um, histories. And so I really, I felt very seen um, by him and also very supported. And um, I could never figure out what he, what he could see at that time that I couldn't see myself yet. And um, I'm still catching up to his vision for what I would become. Um, when I finally left Chicago and I was gonna pursue my studies, um, I remember he just, he gave me a little grin and a laugh and he was like, of course you are. He was like, you're gonna make a great doctor. Um, and so Bob King um, was the first person academically, I think that really saw my professional trajectory. Um, and so it'd be really great if he could like um, come back and whisper in my ear and let me know like, what things are ahead for me <laughs> um, because he passed away in 2013. Um, but his spirit definitely lives on in the work that I continue to do. All right, so now let's talk about Maestra Eva Enseña Sandoval, um, the whole reason this episode uh, was conceived to begin with. Um, I've introduced her to you already in episode one um, when I told you how influential she was for me. And um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, um, head on back to that and check that out. But there was a number of experiences that I had with Eva that um, I would love to share with you because they really kind of highlight um, the love that only a dance teacher can show. <laughs> And um, this week, 
uh, I also, at the same time that I found out that um, Eva was retiring from the university, I had a chance to see um, the documentary of the hot chocolate nutcracker, um, which is the nutcracker that was developed by Debbie Allen in LA. And it showed a lot of her time in the studio and talking to her dancers and um, her expectations and um, what she envisioned for them. And it made me really emotional to watch that um, documentary because I was like, did, do, do all these master teachers like get sprinkled with the same love sauce? You know, it's the, I can't think of any um, chemistry teacher, for example, that could be like in my face <laughs> while I was trying to figure out something on like a formula on the whiteboard and like yelling at me that I'm being lazy in my thinking or um, being in a drawing class and being like, your shading is all wrong, you're lazy, you know, um, dig deeper. There's there's something so incredibly special about dance classes because you are really just in your most raw form and your teachers get to know you and your will and your strength um, in such an intimate way. And they can actually sit there while you're sweating, working your butt off and um, yell in your ear and say you're being lazy and I won't tolerate it, you know, get it together and make this happen. Um, and so one example of this amazing dance teacher love is um, I'd gotten a new pair of flamenco shoes and flamenco shoes are notorious for being difficult to break in, um, especially as you're trying to figure out the right style, the right size, the right brand for your feet. So um, the blisters that you get when you have new shoes are epic. And um, not only did I have about a quarter size blister um, on the inside of my heel, but I continued to dance through it. So then I got a second blister and this second blister was actually a blood blister. So I had a blood blister inside a quarter size blister on my foot. And I thought, okay, I just, I'm, I'm not dancing today. And um, Eva would say that she didn't mind us dance, not dancing, but we still had to come to class. So if we weren't feeling well, if anything was going on, you didn't have to dance, but you still needed to show up. So in I go hobbling in and I sit down at the front of class and she comes by and she's like, why aren't you dancing today? And I was like, oh my gosh, Eva, you know, look at my foot. And I point down at the, the blood blister inside of a blister and she looks down and she looks at me and she was like, that's why you're not dancing? Hmm and turned around and walked away. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so the very next day, or actually that night, I went home, I popped the blisters, I drained them, I threw some mole skin on them, and I was back in class because the level of disappointment at like um, 
was too high. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely uh, that blood blister was not enough of an excuse not to be dancing. Um, another day I complimented Eva because one of the things that um, really stands out about her technique is her absolutely gorgeous upper body carriage and the way that she holds her arms when she's dancing. And I said, Eva, like, I really hope, um, if nothing else, that what I am able to take from your classes is your beautiful carriage and arm work. And she said, well, Linda, you know, the reason I have this is because I uh, had a back injury and I was so injured that I couldn't dance and had to wear a brace. So the only way that I could dance was to have a chair in the studio and not move from my ribs down, but instead just hold my body and use my arms um, in order to, to be able to dance. She was like, so I hope that you never have a reason to have such a beautiful carriage and use of your arms. And um, one of the things that that demonstrated to me was how dancing wasn't really an option, you know, no matter what was gonna happen in her life, she was gonna find a way, she was gonna make a way. Um, she used that opportunity to make this other component of her dance better than it had been before. Um, and so to be able to see the evidence of that so clearly later really um, helped me to realize that if there's something that you really want to be doing with or in your life, um, sometimes it's maybe not the most direct, clear thing that you will end up doing, but instead sometimes you have to get creative and um, literally shift things around so that you can continue doing the things that you love. Um, but it definitely showed me her tenacity, you know, and also the knowledge that it was going to be temporary. She was going to be back on her feet at some point. And so she couldn't waste that time. You know, she needed to continue to perfect her art. Um, and so I had a lot of respect for that. And another thing, um, or another, another anecdote um, of Eva's is that she was relentless when um, she found something that was uh, in your technique that just drove her crazy. It was like every day um, that you were in class, it was uh, brought to your attention that you still needed to be doing this work. So for me, and for many others, but <laughs> for me, it was my base arm, right? So the way that I would hold my arm really irritated her. And it would, you know, it would just be constant from across the room. It would be, Monse, pick up that base arm, you know, and I'd just be like, oh, how can she see me? I'm behind three people. All right, you know, get my arm up. Um, and I remember the day when she came by and she was looking straight at my arm and I thought, oh, am I doing it? And she looks at me and she goes, hmm, good. Now please fix that wrist. <laughs> and I thought, ah, it's just never over, you know. Um, and that's one of the things um, that 
as soon as you accomplish your goal, right? As soon as you make a stride and reach um, an ideal that you had, then it's there's no time to waste. There's so much more to do. Um, and so you have to just go on to the next thing, you know? And I think to this day, I'm still very leery of people that are very easy with compliments. Um, because in dance, it's about the way that you show love is by helping people um, with the next thing that they need to work on to be stronger, better, more artistic, right? So um, her ability to switch immediately, as soon as I got something that she um, wanted me to understand, it was like, great, now let's get you on, finally, I'm glad we don't have to talk about that anymore because you have all this other work to do. <laughs> Um, so one of my favorite things, um, with class with Eva was that we would be, I mean, dripping in sweat by the end. You can imagine we're dancing in the desert of New Mexico, um, we'd be working for two hours. We were just puddles of sweat and Eva would be, you know, demanding to the end and, once you were just completely spent and had nothing more to give, she would just give everyone a little look and laugh in a way that I cannot replicate because the laugh is very uniquely Eva's. And she'd put her finger in the air and she'd be like, see you tomorrow. And off she would walk, you know, cause she had more energy than anybody else I know. And um, I still have that image in my mind of, you know, yeah, you worked really, really hard today and this probably hurt and it was painful, but you'll be back. Um, and if you wanna see what that energy looks like, um, definitely watch that Debbie Allen documentary. Um, but I am so grateful um, to be able to celebrate um, the really fruitful and impassioned career um, and to have benefited from the great teachings um, that Eva had to offer. All right, so the last educator that we're gonna talk about today that had a really profound influence in my life um, was Dr. Joseph Brimhall. He is a chiropractor and president of the University of Western States. And um, when I was a student, um, in my second year, um, I became president of the Associated Student Body. And one of the things that I had to do to fulfill my duties with this is that I had a meeting monthly um, with Dr. Brimhall. Um, and it was a one-on-one -on -one and we would get to discuss all different types of things that were happening with the students, with the school, with the administration. Um, because I was basically the liaison between the administration and the students. Um, and so we had a lot of very uh, great conversations. It was definitely um, an honor to be able to spend an hour a month of just one-on-one -on -one FaceTime um, with this incredible educator. And you know, by the time I got to school and to Dr. Brimhall, a lot of um, the work had already been done on, you know, Bob King had already 
gotten a hold of me and like really seen and um, supported my professional growth. And Eva really helped me like gain uh, my fortitude and find my inner strength. Um, and so by the time I got to Dr. Brimhall at the University of Western States, I needed something a little bit different. Um, and I didn't even realize it at the time. Um, what I needed was the confidence of leadership. Um, and especially once I became president of the student body, um, he really encouraged me to follow my internal compass. And he would have a lot of conversations with me about how you really can't um, please everybody. At the end of the day, you need to be able to check in with yourself, know that you made the best decisions that you could with the information you had at the time. Um, and that so long as you were well-informed and you had people around you that could give you sound advice and that you could make decisions with clarity, that even if you made the wrong decision, it could be a learning experience because without being able to go through that step of, um, of deciding, you know, you could never really uh, learn anything different from what you were doing at that time. So I really benefited from him giving me the space to believe in my decision-making process. Um, and the other thing that came up a lot with our conversations was my comfort with confrontation. He said, Montserrat, you're going to be a leader in this profession. And in order for that to happen, you need to get comfortable being in conflict and navigating through conflict. He was like, because even if things are not, the conflict doesn't always have to be a negative thing, right? It can to be two people wanting very positive things, very amicable things, but they can be different. And so there's going to have to be compromise. There's a conflict there, even if um, what the conflict is, is between really great things. So I think he was the first person to um, kind of show me how to sit and be present um, with varied opinions and try to find common ground and compromise and the way to communicate with somebody so that you could both equally be heard so that you could feel like your voice was heard and the other person could feel like their voice was heard so that then you could meet somewhere, um, not necessarily always in the middle, right? Um, but that you could meet and feel like you were both equally involved in the outcome of the resolution. So um, he actually, I remember him giving me a book called Crucial Confrontations. Um, and it was, it was very helpful to have somebody explained to me that leadership was about staying centered and being a really good listener. Um, and I'm, I really have appreciated that because I think um, it has come in handy and um, has helped me navigate through many situations that otherwise I think I would have felt more confused in. Um, but by listening to what other people have to um, the, persp the perspectives that other people are sharing, 
um, and why they're important to them really can help you come to um, resolutions that are based on what's important to them instead of not as much about what the conflict is about. So um, I'm really appreciative for his guidance and that um, and believing that I was gonna be um, a good liaison between the student body and the administrative staff. So um, that brings us to the end of this episode. I just, I wanna really say thank you to all of the educators. I think this year um, has really shown us how nimble and how dedicated they are to the charge of um, teaching young minds and supporting young spirits through a really incredible time. Um, and I really hope that uh, teachers all the way from pre-K to PhD programs feel valued and appreciated because it is so frequently that I hear that it was the power, the love, the attention, the encouragement of an educator that helped move many of us forward into becoming doctors. So cheers to the educators, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we will see you next time. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. Please follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if this episode hit home for you, let us know. We would love to hear how these stories reach you. Hey Doc Podcast is recorded at the Portland Center Stage Digital Streaming Studio with the AV Engineering, Logo Design, Website, Theme Music, and Editing all done by the incomparable Jonas Angelette and invaluable technical savvy of Katie Wen and Greg Lee. Instagram and TikTok management is brought to you by the fantabulous Jen Thompson. And if you want to see the faces of these BIPOC docs, you can watch the podcast on Haydoc Podcast website, and you can listen on all of your favorite podcast streaming sources. Check out our fun posts of your favorite BIPOC docs on the Instagram page and watch them bust and move on TikTok. Thank you for every listen, share, like, and emoji. I am super grateful to all of you that tune in to listen and to all the wonderful docs that come share their stories. See you next time, friends.